Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on September the 13th, 2015. News really is, I've always said this is propaganda really, as you're trained to think about something that those who want to control you and the world and so on, and do to an extent already, how they want you to think about this new thing, whichever new thing it happens to be, a new way of life, uh, uh, the austerity measures, etc., and the reasons you have to go through all this. There's always these people telling you under the guise of news and preparing you for what's to come so they can get more people on board with it. And also folk do get on board to an extent. In other words, they don't object to it because they haven't critically been thinking through it at all. They simply get little news bits and bites that sort of sift their way down into their brain and get them all prepared for the big changes which are scheduled. And you've already been going through a lot of them for quite a long time. And most folk have adapted, really, and and adapted and accepted and copied the viewpoints of the experts who want to manage them and who do manage them. So it's well understood how most folk learn. And uh, the adult population, once they've left school, in other words, the adult population, as I say, they learn by osmosis. That's what they say. Uh, Bits just as I say, sift down gradually through your brain's repetition until they become your viewpoints and so on. And, of course, it never dawns on them they've been given a minimalistic view of that, the topic, uh, all the facts involved, but they'll never get that, never ever, because the whole point of propaganda is to make you go along with it by restricting other facts which don't go along, which would really blast the whole agenda out the window, whichever agenda it happens to be. And the terminology is, is fascinating, really, too, because in the 20th century, in academia, they talked about this wonderful utopia they create in the 21st century, and that was to be the century for change, all the ch- planned changes of bringing in this this utopia, ex- expertly run, etc., uh, were to be completed throughout the 21st century. And that word change is what Obama ran on, remember, too. Change is good. And, uh, and all the idiots never asked him what changes he was talking about. Uh, it's strange, that, isn't it? They're just, just like trained seals flapping their wings, their, their fins together. They, they just uh, get up there in the circus and, and cheer whenever they hear these terms getting used. It's quite amazing, isn't it? But today, of course, change is getting a bad rap because folk have started to get rather disillusioned with this term change. And now it's, it's morphed into a, a better term for the same thing, which is transformation. Because our whole system, including you and your education system, your, your, the way that you're indoctrinated through education, everything, everything is to change through transformation. Same thing again. Not so long ago, we're all given the austerity blitz, remember? It came out in all the papers and... Uh, everything was austerity, austerity. Never really explained to the public what it, exactly it was and really even what they really meant by it. You know, austerity, austerity really means coming down to a minimalistic way of living. That's what it is. Poor, in other words, if you like. 
And the whole idea, again, uh, by the masters of the world is to bring the world all down to the same level. Uh, and on the way down, the richer countries, as they're getting poorer, will still be paying more and more money to the third world countries, uh, all guised uh, under the, the idea of helping them come up to a certain extent, a certain level, etc., and, of course, it's a ridiculous because if that really was the case, why, why not just bring them up to your standard without you going broken in the process? Well, of course, they want you all to go into this new uh, minimalistic way of living. And it's approaching awful fast with implementations of higher taxes. Uh, your currencies are all worth less and less all the time. We all know it. In the U.S., they got bashed, too, with uh, the so-called Obamacare, which really wasn't Obama's idea. He was just continuing the same agenda. And uh, you find that with some people in the States, for instance, who are self-employed, living on a, almost a minimum income, they still got to pay $800 for a single person. Uh, for the for the basic insurance, that doesn't cover the, the thousands of dollars they'd have to pay up front if they wanted to go to the hospital. It's incredible. So that's the spending money of most folk. I mean, $800 a month is another mortgage. And what really was surprising, it was a really placid way most people in the States accepted it. Quite something, eh? But we do accept everything, don't we? And austerity is on a rampage now to bring you into the new planned, controlled society in a big, big way. It uses different guises. It uses the Millennium Project, which is now morphing into the next part of the phase because the Millennium Project only lasts for 15 years. Uh, and then they go into the next phase of it for another 15 years. And that's going to be sustainable development goals as they take more and more money off you and put it through various projects, uh, a lot of them through United Nations organizations, and supposedly help the third world and all the rest of it. And they also want all your, the climate taxes brought in and carbon taxes, which will also be a big derivative market. Of course, we know all about that for the big boys. And, um, and it's also helped to go to alleviating poverty across the whole planet. So we're living in amazing times. It's, it's, it's kind of quietly, even though it's in the papers now, uh, rammed through. Uh, you're really getting legalities on certain things. They've informed you vaguely, however vaguely, of whatever it is they're talking about and plan on doing to you. But uh, when you acquiesce by silence, then it, that's what goes down in the history books, that the public, the public accepted this quite calmly. Etc., etc. And if you read this article here, for instance, they've already had two meetings this year and uh, they've got another one to go yet on climate and sustainable development. And um, it says, What are the sustainable development goals and why do they matter? It says, In late September, world leaders will meet at the United Nations in New York to adopt a new global plan of action for ending poverty, known as the Sustainable Development Goals. What are they? A set of 17 goals and 169 targets aimed at resolving the social, economic and environmental problems troubling the world. Covering the next 15 years, the SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals, replace the Millennium Development Goals, uh, which is MDGs, <laughs> which expired this year. Who decided the, the Sustainable Development Goals? 
while governments came up with the idea at the Rio Plus 20 Conference on Sustainable Development in Brazil in 2012. No, the governments went down there to sign that their masters told them, which is not the public, by the way, uh, the politicians went down and simply signed it into law. It was all drafted up by private organizations through Maurice Strong et al., this usual clique and Rockefellers and so on. So at the same time, the United Nations ran public consultations around the world, and an online survey asked people about their priorities for the goals. Now, most of them have never heard of this. In fact, all the, uh, there's other articles I'll read tonight too, and they tell you that maybe 4% of the populations in Britain so on, have ever heard of the, the Sustainable Development Goals and the Millennium Development Goals and so on. It's just not pushed in a big way to the general public because they don't want you to know uh, all the things that are going on behind the scenes to make you even poorer. But it says this summer governments negotiated a final version of sustainable development goals due to be adopted by 193 countries at the September 25th to 27th summit at the United Nations in New York. What did the Millennium Development Goals achieve? The United Nations says the MDGs led to achievements, including a drop in the number of people living in extreme poverty by more than half to 836 million in 2015. Uh, they, they can tell you any nonsense, you know, stats are wonderful, uh, nonsensical confusers, aren't they? But it says gender parity in primary schools in the majority of countries, I don't know if they're talking about the uh, unisex toilets, or what, a reduction in the rate of children dying before their fifth birthday by more than half since 1990, a fall of 45% worldwide in maternal mortality. Over 6.2 million malaria deaths averted, again, you can just conjure these up, and 37 million lives saved by tuberculosis prevention and treatment, access to improved drinking water sources for 2.6 billion people between 1990 and 2015. So why do we need the Sustainable Development Goals? See, again, do we, why do we, we need them? We, no. Do we need them? No. But that's a salesman's tactic. When Sachs talking about the we, 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 and you all nod along, that's how it's done. Why do we need sustainable development goals? Then said around 800 million people still live in extreme poverty and suffer from hunger with fragile and conflict-torn states. Well, stop bombing them all, experiencing the highest poverty rates. Between 2008 and 2012, 144 million people were displaced from their homes by natural disasters a number predicted to rise as the planet warms. <laughs> Last night, by the way, as I'm reading this here, uh, the, the temperature plummeted down to the freezing mark. No kidding. Right down to the freezing mark last night. It's frozen. Today's not much warmer. Uh, a blast of uh, Arctic air came down. Anyway, as the planet warms, here we go, and, and bringing more extreme weather and rising seas. I've heard about the rising seas, and so has we, and, and it's never happened yet. And it says here, water scarcity affects 40% of the global population. It's not water scarcity. It's actually good drinking water when you really go into other articles. And that's how, how things are put across in propaganda form. By basically misleading information, which you can easily say is lies, deliberately put across to you. So water scarcity affects 40% of the global population and is projected to increase. It then goes on to talk about, uh, oh, some 946 million people still practice open defecation. 
so they put them in the streets and so on. And there's, <laughs> there's documentaries out on on places in India, for instance, where that's still done quite openly. But uh, it says gender inequality persists in spite of more representation for women in Parliament and more girls going to school. And if we meet the SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals, how will the world improve? The 17 goals aim to achieve these wider aims by 2030. End poverty and hunger everywhere. It's like a big cheering thing. Ah, combat inequalities within and between countries. Ah, you know, Build peaceful, just and inclusive societies. Protect human rights and promote gender equality and empowerment of women and girls. Ensure lasting protection of the planet and its natural resources. Create conditions for sustainable, inclusive and sustained economic growth. Well, we've been plummeting on economic growth for a long time. Shared prosperity and decent work for all. Ra ra ra. You know, it's like something out of 1984, isn't it? What's new and different about the SDGs? The United Nations says the SDGs go much further than the previous goals because they address the root causes of poverty and pledge to leave no one behind, including vulnerable groups. Well, perhaps if we had a new system of currency that was real, huh? Uh, that it's not constantly devalued and tossed into a big global casino, and so it was up and down with purchasing power every darn day. In fact, all throughout the day it's changing. Uh, utter nonsense and, and so on. And, and how about stop giving money away to the countries uh, just where it either doesn't get to in the first place or it simply goes to build uh, big corporate, uh, managed and owned uh, private factories in these places where they use slave labor. And so, and I stopped bombing uh, all these countries in the Stone Age as well. And uh, it's a bit late to even say that because I've done so many already. But uh, let's be honest here this is a different uh, this is agenda that uses all of these wonderful and poor th- I mean, things which are emotive, in other words, right? You, you imagine the poor, you can see them, and blah, blah. And, and you start, people start crying when they see little children crying in poverty and so on. That's natural. But they use all of this for a different agenda altogether. Because I've gone through in the previous talks about some of the groups involved. And I can remember that, that Hansen guy from NASA, for instance, who even talked about we've got to demolish and break down every single factory uh, and manufacturing uh, plant in, across the United States and elsewhere. I mean, this is what they want to reduce you to until you are then standing with your hands out for a handout too so you can eat, etc. This is, a, this is the, the world they, they envisage, honestly. But with themselves managing it, of course, living awfully, awfully well off of the rest of you. It's a very lucrative thing you do, you know. Live off all the rest of the people. Ask all the present wealthy people and all the dynasties that have gone down through the centuries. It says they also emphasize the need to tackle climate change urgently. I don't know if they're going to call on God for that or what. And protect the environment through a shift to sustainable consumption and production. Now, you don't take things at face value. You have to really go into what they mean by sustainable consumption and production, folks. You see? The SDGs are intended to be universal, applying to all countries rather than just the developing world. What's well, Agenda 21, cram you into these slum cities. And, uh, and watch you die off through disease and all the rest of it till you get less and less to eat. 
and all the rest of it. But the guys who will own these slum cities, the big massive landlords and mega landlords of the world, will be living so... Well, again, they'll be different species, like... like um, Bertrand Russell said, delete a bit different species because their their reality be so vastly different from yours. That's pretty well here. They recognize the key role of the private sector in pursue, pursuing and financing sustainable development in partnership with governments and civil society. Now, what they're talking about is taxing civil society to pay for all folks. And... Um, this is from the United Nations Development Program and other UN agencies, etc., etc. Remember, all these articles that I do read, I always give you the links for them as well. And uh, it's up to you, if you care at all, to find out what's coming up, you see, and how it's going to work on you. Because everything is meant to work on you, because <laughs> you're going to pay for all. And one of their propaganda pieces, too, these are propaganda pieces, folks, you know. Uh, they're not hard facts, like explaining in detail what they're actually talking about. As I say, just give you the motive things, children crying, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, at the end of the month, the new sustainable development goals will be revealed. If you're a development worker, a campaigner, or a hardcore follower of international affairs, this might not be news to you, but most of the world hasn't got a clue. Survey showed in 2013 that just 4% of people in the UK had heard of the Millennium Development Goals. Anybody the folk involved in it, of course, all the NGO boys and girls, and it says had an idea of what they were. So how can we encourage people outside the sector to care about the MDGs post-2015 successor? The SDGs. And it's a propaganda piece, as I say, a handout to the papers. Research shows that the UK public are demotivated by imagery and messages showing desperate and urgent need. See, they've even done all the campaigns and studies to see how you react to them and how they can then change your mind and get you getting on board with something without your knowledge, in a sense, by different techniques. And it says here, from the VSO's 2001 Live Aid Legacy to report to the research behind Oxfam's 2012 Food for All campaign, it's clear that the majority of people believe most of the coverage about developing countries is doom-laden and dehumanizing. This makes people who could potentially play a part in overcoming poverty feel like progress is not being made. The overwhelmingly negative portrayal of Africa to the British public is undermining popular support for efforts to bring an end to hunger on the continent, says Oxfam. Now, remember, these organizations live on money. And they're awfully well paid at the top. They have their own CEOs level, basically, of of incomes, just like any big corporation and so on. This is their bread and butter. So, by, by the way, if they ever had... Uh, an end to poverty, this great miracle, of course, which will never happen, uh, that these organizations would be awfully desperate because you wouldn't need them anymore. We're going to just pension them off or something. And it says here, uh, as the UN's draft declaration document recognizes achieve, uh, achieving gender equality and, and delivering 169 SDG targets will require global collaboration involving governments, businesses, and the general public. Well, the last folk they want involved, they say, to pay it all, is the general public. That's what it's all about. Until people start empathizing rather than pitting people across the country uh, and continental borders, 
these intractable problems will remain, it says here. It says, think about the messenger, the announcement of the New World plan to tackle poverty as an important moment. Charity CEOs attending negotiations in New York are not necessarily the best people to communicate that. The charity sector has recently endured significant media attention on direct marketing practices, allegations of data misuse and accusing or accusations of wasting money on CEOs' pay. It's not just the CEOs, it's all the massive bureaucracy that's underneath them. In that climate, when we've got an important message to communicate as widely as possible, don't assume that your CEO or wealthy celebrity ambassador is the best person to speak about a new global plan to end poverty. The messenger could trigger subconscious associations with lavishness and wasting money. In other words, corruption, folks. Uh, as says George Leakoff explains. And it says, um, so who should charities recruit to speak about the SDGs? Research by the Aid Attitude Tracker Partnership. It's another a think tank in a, in a PR company, a propaganda company. Aid Attitude Tracker Partnership. To see what makes you give, you see. Suggests that the UK public appreciate a communicator who is credible and warm. Credibility is attached to people who have experience working on the issues, celebrities who are committed to specific issues, and people who have unbiased or academic expertise. For an audience to receive a spokesperson as warm, it helps if they can relate to them. Nurses, teachers, and parents are particularly good for this, you see. Don't be afraid to talk about corruption, it says. Poverty overseas is often associated with corruption. 67% of the British public think that government corruption makes donating to reduce poverty pointless, up to 48% in 2008, according to research from Jennifer and David Hudson. Their evidence shows that when the issue is raised as a concern, and a quarter of UK media stories about poverty overseas focuses on it, it's best to engage in discussion and share examples of how organizations are tackling the problem. <laughs> and it says, keep it real. The first SDG to end poverty in all its forms everywhere is going to prompt accusations of overambition and lack of realism. The general perception perpetuated by the doom-laden imagery mentioned above is that global poverty is pervasive and intractable. People need plausible solutions, not a utopian fantasy to prevent skepticism about the goals and the organizations associated with them. And it gives them other tips on how it puts across the general public. I'm sure there's much more in-depth ones for members, and even, of course, they have training seminars for them as well on how to con the public and to go along with things, you see. And then... This article here came out. See, they're all time to come out. You see, the right times and so on. And it says, The humanitarian community is about to announce a sustainable development agenda. On September 25th to the 27th, the International Humanitarian Community convened in New York to announce the post-2015 development agenda. The so-called Sustainable Development Goals are a new set of global aims designed to follow up the Millennium Development Goals that have underpinned UN processes since 2000 and will cover the period 2016 to 2030. And the author of this article says, I spoke to David Hume, Professor of Development Studies at the University of Manchester and Head of Brooks World Poverty Institute. And it says uh, about the background to all this goal setting. 
and his thoughts on why reducing poverty and inequality globally should be a priority. So could you explain a little about the Millennium Development Goals or just the notion of all this goal-setting? As well, the United Nations has set goals for, for the last 50 or 60 years. Uh, usually they've been specified goals like eradicating smallpox, eradicating polio, getting more children into primary education. By the 1990s, there was a real dynamism uh, to this process following the end of the Cold War and the non-governmental organizations emerging and civil society getting active. A whole set of UN conferences set hundreds of different goals and targets for the world. Nobody quite knew what they were doing, but they already did. The guys at the top were raked in the cash. But in the late 1990s, first the OECD's Development Assistance Committee pulled a few of them together into a list. Then the United Nations began to pull them together into lists. Then 2000, 2001, after lots of uh, politicking, lots of which was hidden, eventually the United Nations agreed on the Millennium Development Goals, a list of eight goals with about 20 targets. The number of targets was increased with 60 indicators, and the overarching uh, message was to eradicate poverty, but actually it was basically to reduce poverty significantly between 2000 and 2015. Then, when you say something is ending in 2015, people start saying, what's going to happen after 2015? So now all this goal-setting has become a fairly standardized United Nations process. Remember, they have these, the communist organizations always had these 5 and 10 and 15 and 20 and 50-year plans and so on. That's the same technique, folk. It says that's relatively new as far as development goes, as far as development goes, but as far as anything goes, because these goals now have moved from millennium development goals that were about poverty reduction and in developing countries, to an overarching set of global goals for all countries. One of the big differences about the Sustainable Development Goals is that they will be universal. All countries are meant to commit to pursuing them and implementing them through law into their own countries, by the way. So we're not just monitoring what's happening in poor countries and developing countries in a way. Every country in the world, or 193 member countries, should actually do something if they sign up to them. And now to another propaganda. There's all propaganda pieces, by the way. They're all just handed out. But this one ties in with a, one of the articles a couple, like one couple of ago, I should say, maybe two ago, where they talk about how to uh, get the right folk to, I say, con the public, you know, by seeming to be more credible, etc., uh, you know, like nurses and things like that, people who have got this impression that they, they care, etc. Well, and they've also got all, all the celebrities too. I mentioned them last week and the week before who have got on board with this. So all using your tax money, by the way, as propaganda to convince you to go along with another agenda that you're going to get soaked for through your tax money. It's just astonishing, isn't it? Taking your tax money and, and putting it out to big think tanks or marketing corporations to find ways to con you and to, and to you paying up even more dough. That's not disgusting, right? Remember, the United Nations lives on your tax, all countries' tax money. That's it. And believe you me, the paychecks at the top, of the, 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 all the bureaucrats and so on, technocrats, is quite phenomenal. And they're not a democratic institution. Nobody, including your parents and grandparents, got to vote even to get a United Nations or even belong to it. 
But again, we just take it for granted it's an institution that's kind of always been there, even though it wasn't, uh, and so on. It's a whole different topic in itself. It says, everyone, it seems, recognizes that Pope Francis's encyclical is a striking document. But to really appreciate its significance, it's worth contrasting it with another document that purports to tackle the same challenge, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. This is from June of this year. The SDGs have emerged for, uh, from a long, complex process uh, stretching over the past four years. They're hanging on a promise to be able to eradicate all poverty in all its forms everywhere by 2030, and to do so in a way that moves us to a more environmentally sustainable economy. Uh, but well, the Pope's encyclical has caused a stir around the world, almost no one is excited about the SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals. On the contrary, they live almost exclusively in the dry, technocratic world of international developments. This isn't for want of trying by the United Nations and others. They've invested a lot of your money, well, they don't say you're here, but it is your money, trying to whip up popular enthusiasm, and would love nothing more than to see the sort of excitement that has greeted the encyclical. And by the way, I think they've got another hundred million given for another particular project to do with environmentalism and the climate change and all that too. And they want an awful lot more very shortly. So the problem is that unlike the encyclical, the SDGs are not fresh or paradigm shifting. They don't suffer anything that gets the blood flowing. They can't be sold as exciting because they simply aren't. This is a question of substance. The encyclical is visionary. It's bold, uncompromising, and radical, where the sustainable development goals are stayed timid and mired in a business-as-usual mentality. The Pope uh, doesn't hit the right note on every issue, of course, and his statement, progressive though it may be, certainly doesn't absolve the Catholic Church of all its past and present feelings. But it does have the feel of a zeitgeist document in tune with the times, if not a few steps ahead. The SDGs, by contrast, feel like yesterday's thinking. SDGs are desperately trying to catch up with a public that knows something big and deep has to change, but are unable or perhaps unwilling to rise to that challenge. Well, do you all want to be poorer, poorer than you already are as we're plummeting downwards, you know? And... It says, here are three ways Pope Francis has raised the bar. And the reason they're using the Pope too, and he's on board with this, uh, is because, again, he seems to, well, if, he, if, he, if a nurse makes you think, well, if a nurse cares about people across the planet, then obviously the Pope does as well. He's, he's more credible, you see. And uh, he can sway millions of followers. This is versus holism. The SDGs are remarkable for their length, 17 goals and 169 targets. It's led to a chorus of derision from the economists, calling them sprawling and misconceived, to leaders at the Gates Foundation, ridiculing the process as no targets left behind. The SDGs are right to embrace a wide range of issues. Unlike their predecessors, the Millennium Development Goals, they recognize that the problems we face are multidimensional but they have confused thoroughness with holism, lists with patterns. It's a mistake born of, out of outdated thinking. The Pope, by contrast, is struck at the systematic uh, or systemic nature of the issue. It cannot be emphasized enough how everything is connected, he says. To seek only a technical remedy to each environmental problem which comes up is to separate what is in reality interconnected and to mass the true and deepest problems of the global system. 
This is what makes the encyclical far more than a document of climate change. It's a profound critique of the deep logic of our political economy. This is a vastly more sophisticated paradigm than the one that underpins the SDGs and a large part of why the encyclical feels cohesive, fresh and relevant, where the SDGs feel inconsistent, chunky and 20 years out of date. Uh, the SDGs are a, a, a PM to consumption-driven economic growth. Everything they claim uh, to be able to eradicate from poverty to violence can be addressed by GDP growth, they tell us. They want at least 7% GDP growth per year in at, le- in at least developed countries and higher levels of economic productivity across the board. In fact, an entire goal, number eight, is, is devoted to this. Well, it's getting made in China, as you all know. And all your GDP is just a bunch of guys working with their scribbling pants and their pencils, uh, making up statistics and rubbish like that. And then this article here, the next one, says the Pope's impeccable timing. This is a real agenda behind his address to Congress. And this goes back to February 2015. This is Pope Francis is coming to Washington, D.C., uh, John Bonner announced that the Pope will address a joint session of Congress September 24th, making him the first Pope to do so. The time is, is instructive. The Pope was already expected in New York for the United Nations Summit on Sustainable Development Goals, which will be one of the most important UN meetings in decades. The summit will set broad and ambitious targets to eradicate extreme poverty, promote environmental sustainability, and boost health outcomes in the developing world. The SDGs will replace the Millennium Goals, which expire at the end of 2015, and which were also backed by the Vatican in 2000. This UN meeting uh, could have profound world historic implications. And although the outcomes of it are hugely significant to most of the 7 billion people on the planet, the SDGs summit is somewhat of Congress's radar, the Pope's visit will certainly change that. Six weeks after the SDG summit comes to the Paris Climate Talks, uh, which is the last best chance for an internationally binding climate change agreement, which is again they want another hundred billion for that, or whatever it is, or a million, or God knows what it is, uh, to the United Nations. The Pope has publicly advocated for an ambitious agreement in Paris and is reportedly drafting a papal encyclical instructing the planet's 1.2 billion Catholics that fighting climate change is a religious obligation. Now think of the irony behind all of this too. Because the Catholic Church has been hammered by all the lefties for such a long time about them not believing in contraception or abortion uh, to reduce populations, you see. Because uh, the whole premise, you see, of sustainable development is based on for every person that's born. This is me talking here. Uh, every person that's born uh, will need all the material benefits as they go through the life of things they have to own, or just even to survive. And, the, and uh, the cost of each person to the environment and sustainability and all the rest of it. And here's the Pope joining with these characters because the biggest way, the easiest way to, to cut consumption and all the rest of it is to reduce the population. Eh? I, hope people, I hope everybody's thinking about this, especially the followers of this. Anyway, it says, um, 
that uh, six weeks after the stream comes to Paris Climate Talks. That's a big one where everything must get signed into law. It's all been drafted up, I'm sure. They, they do it for years in advance, all these things. It takes years of negotiations with other countries. And your, your government's just go down for a big, big party and uh, booze it up and all the rest of it and sign all the documents. That's how things always are done. But it says, before today's announcement, The Guardian had reported that the Pope was planning on using his time at the United Nations to personally lobby world leaders ahead of the Paris climate talks. Now it seems he's, t- he's taking that lobbying directly to Congress and the American people. The Pope has demonstrated that his diplomatic acumen by helping to broker the USA-Cuba deal, which, like the climate changes debates in the USA, is rooted in some unique peculiarities of domestic American politics. It was probably the case that his personal involvement in the Cuba deal helped to mute some of the otherwise vocal opponents of normalization. So could his remarks change the politics of climate change in the U.S.? I think it's within the dream of uh, possibility, it says here. And again, too, they're giving the Pope this kind of same star treatment to give all the big the big uh, celebrities, the actors, and so all the rest of it. The, the, a big fanfare type of thing, all on backing it up, etc., etc. But I do look like the, the different articles when they mention about the United Nations spending uh, big, big money to propagandize all of this. Your tax money that gets given to them every, all the time and to pay for everything that they do because they don't bring any money in except from you. They don't create anything. They said more technocrats and control freaks. And, uh, and of course, it's all one world agenda anyway. It's a completely global agenda because it's, it was set up, the UN, by the same boys that set up the World Bank, the BIS, and everything else. And then this article here says, the pontiff visiting the capital's part of his three-day stop in Washington, September 12. It says... That's when this was done, this article. Under Catholic dogma, the Pope is infallible, but that's not stopping some U.S. lawmakers from suggesting a few talking points to Pope Francis for his historic September 24th address to a joint meeting of Congress. In a just-released letter to, uh, it says, uh, to your host, Pope Francis, 94 House Democrats, led by Representative uh, Rosa DeLauro of Connecticut, informed the pontiff that the U.S. finds itself struggling with a broad range of economic and social issues. They go on to suggest speech topics ranging from Congress's refusal to raise the minimum wage to the widening gap between rich and poor, climate change, immigration, and increased racial tensions, to name just a few. It says, Your Holiness, we look forward with great anticipation to your visit and your words on all of these issues. Uh, state Democrats, whose laundry list happens to match much of their party's political agenda, it says here. Another letter was mailed to the Pope from 13 lawmakers, led by the seven members of the newly formed Congressional Friends of Jesuit Colleges and Universities Caucus. That letter, spearheaded by the caucus co-chairman Mark de Solnier and Juan Vargas, both California Democrats, is a bit more pious and a little uh, less political, yet it also seeks to focus the Pope's attention on specific topics. There are many issues that face a country, this is the U.S., from hunger to poverty to war and disease. We must remember what we learned from our Jesuit institutions 
uh, states her letter, we see how you apply the vision of Jesuit education and the spirituality of Ignatius in your own work, and we wait for your address before the United States Congress. We reflect on the, the ideals of the Vatican too. You know, it's a passage that states... Uh, Human freedom is often crippled when a man encounters extreme poverty, just as it withers when he indulges in too many of uh, life's comforts and imprisons himself in a kind of splendid isolation. Kevin Smith, a spokesman for House Speaker John Boner, said he didn't know of of any letter or letters from Republicans to the Pope suggesting uh, potential speech topics. It was Boner, an Ohio Republican, who extended the invitation for him to address a joint meeting of Congress. The pontiff is visiting the capital as part of his three-day stop in Washington. And so on and so on. And tells you other ones who, who uh, are involved in all of this to other politicians. And this article here says we... Uh, civil society must be equal partners in implementing UN sustainability agenda, uh, Ban Ki moon tells parliamentarians. Uh, with speakers of parliament meeting at United Nations headquarters in a moment when the world is gripped by multiple crises, displacement has soared to an all time high, and as populations get moved around and all the rest of it, and the mass migration, and the threat of climate change grows by the day. Oh, the whole the sky's falling. Secretary General Ban Ki-moon urged the legislators to help drive forward the new United Nations Sustainable Development Agenda and ensure that civil society are equal partners in building the future we want. At the time we're finished building it all, we'll all be living in mud huts back here in North America. And since we are being challenged to strengthen our collective resolve to promote peace and security, sustainable development, and human rights around the world, said Mr. Ban, telling the Interparliamentary Union, their fourth world conference of speakers of parliament, that earlier this month, UN member states took a bold step in this direction by concluding negotiations on the ambitious and transformative, this terminology again, agenda for the next 15 years. The Global Parliamentary Summit is held every five years, the current meeting will run through 2nd of September in New York, and today's opening session features addresses from Mr. Ban, IPU President Sabur Chowdhury, UN General Assembly President Sam Kutisa, and the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, UNESCO, which is an incredible organization. If you read the goals of it, all these organizations within the United Nations, but read and I've read them on the air years ago too. Go into the archive section at cuttingthroughmatrix.com where I go through uh, Aldous Huxley, his, his uh, particular brother, uh, who was the first head of UNESCO. And he actually, <laughs> I read his own massive speech that he gave on it, what his real function was to be. That's quite something else. And it says here, in his remark, the Secretary General said that the 17 Sustainable Development Goals that formed the basis of the new United Nations agenda are people-centered and planet-sensitive. Oh, is another term that I've conjured up, planet-sensitive. They provide a plan of action for ending poverty and hunger and a roadmap for building a life of dignity for all, and they promise to leave no one behind. 
in the rush to the bottom, I should add to that, co- uh, commending the parliamentarians of the world and the IPU for the valuable role they played in shaping the new framework, Mr. Ban underscored that their contribution to its implementation will equally be equally critical in ensuring that the agenda is translated from the global to the national. And people will look to you to hold your governments accountable for achieving the goals and to write laws and invest in the programs, in other words, more taxes off you, uh, that will make them uh, a reality, he said, noting that while democratic principles also run through the entire document, like a silver thread, Sustainable Development Goal 16 addresses democracy by calling for inclusive and participatory uh, societies and institutions. So all, everything that makes your culture what it is with all of its organizations, societies, institutions must all be on board with it, you see, and, and the brainwashing of everybody else. At the same time, the UN chief uh, said the task of implementing and monitoring these goals is huge. It requires states to work in strong and close partnership with civil society of all stripes. It's never been more important, it says. And yet for civil society, freedom to operate is diminishing or even disappearing. Dozens of governments have adopted restrictions that limit the ability of non-governmental organizations to work or to receive funding or both. Well, that's that's nonsense, that. That's rubbish, because uh, you, your taxes, your tax money is funding most of these non-governmental organisations, without your knowledge. Says as we embark on this new agenda, the state and civil society can and should be partners in building the future we want. I don't want these NGOs deciding what future I want. I'm looking at a world that I'm going to live in. I didn't elect them. Did you? This is for his part, General Assembly President uh, Kutisa said, given their role as pillars of democratic governance, (laughs) uh, (laughs) well, at least to have comedy in there, parliaments will have an important role in the implementation of the new development agenda. Parliamentarians should continue to ensure that the voices of the people are heard and included in the development process. This will enhance ownership of the new agenda and its implementation on the ground, which will be vital for its success. And on and on and on, they prattle away there. As though it's some easy thing to attain. And uh, without telling, again, the fallout from it all will be... uh, Countries are already plummeting downwards. Still called first world countries are plummeting downwards. Are going to pay for all of this and get poorer and poorer and poorer. As their currency gets less and less and less in buying power. And then it says, the House, this is, a, this is a comical one, actually, a bit of a comical one. Uh, it's from, it's, um, this article is from, where is it, uh, Jakarta. It says, recently the world saw two Indonesian House of Representative leaders at a Donald Trump campaign event in New York. I mean, these are wise spending of money. We know the NGOs and all these UN bunch are the same as this article, and you'll get the point of it all when I read through it. So these two characters, Indonesian House of Representative leaders, went to a Donald Trump campaign event in New York. Everyone wondered what the main purpose of their attending the event was. That's never in their own country, I guess. Was it really a coincidence, as Home Deputy Speaker uh, Fadli Zon has repeatedly stated? I don't think so. It was a very unethical move by a legislative leader. Putting aside why they were at the event, the next main issue in this case... Uh, that we that should be scrutinized is why these leaders of the House were in New York in the first place. 
According to them, they were there to attend the IPU, Interparliamentary Union Conference, which is an international event for parliament, uh, parliament leaders. It says, fine, let's move to the most important question. How much money did they spend in New York? Was it transparent for the public to see? Apparently not. Well, never, it never really is, is it, in any country? And it was expensive, it says. According to the Forum for Budget Transparency, the estimated costs are listed as follows. Uh, U.S. dollars, $14,428 for a one-way flight ticket per person. This is what they charged the public. One-way ticket. dollars. $527 daily allowance per person. $1,312 hotel price for the night. It's quite quite amazing you find this in countries like Indonesia and so on, them watching their politicians spending all their tax money on these junkets. And... uh, what would be more ironic here is the fact that uh, these politicians were members of the the, the International Pol- Politicians Union that were there to talk about ending world poverty and all the rest of it and climate change. Uh, <laughs> see, everything's corrupt, folks. And it'll never change cause if you give them more money either. Because it's the corrupt ones that get in there. And they just use your tax money, uh, you know, like water, basically. Uh, that's how they use it, as they, as they enjoy themselves and all these junkets. It says the number of House members who went there, including some House staff, was 21. Calculates it, and it's even brought servants with them, and you'll get more than $300,000 or in the ballpark of 4.7 rupees, uh, 4.7 billion rupees. Of course, the amount is increasing daily. This, of course, begs the question why so much? I believe I don't have to answer that because if there is one activity that all House members share in common and apparently are very good at, it's wasting the people's money on themselves. And it'll be the same in the United Nations and all the rest of it, folks, believe you me. Stop thinking they're all such great, special people who, who worry about the poor all the time and they're all altruists simply because they've been given high flutin' titles at the United Nations. Says why ungrateful, for they have wasted so much money that could be used to repair the roofs of lots of schools on different islands, provide sanitation to those who don't have access to it, and provide better health care services for those in need. Instead, set your pose for a picture with Donald Trump wearing a $140,000 watch, staying in a hotel room that costs more than 1000 for a night, and flying in business or first class. As they talk about world poverty, that's what they're there for. They've all stated that they work for the people. Oh, they do. Don't they all work for across the world? They all work for you. Instead, they have stabbed the people repeatedly from behind, not to mention their pending projects that will see their buildings renovated with a ridiculously huge amount of money, over uh, two trillion rupees. These house leaders are indeed ungrateful for the people have given them so much, yet they have given nothing back in return. Not quite true. They, they give you the tab to pay for them. You see, the, the tab, and you pay up your tax money. Because they really care about world hunger and stuff like that, you see. They really do. Because why do you know that? Because they say so, you see. They say so. And lastly, we have Pope Francis invites Oprah and Ari Emanuel to the Vatican. 
This is from the Hollywood Reporter. The pontiff has shortlisted Hollywood heavy hitters for a special meeting at the Vatican this fall. The topic, improving the church's portrayal in Western entertainment. Well, they're 60 or more years too late for that. They've been bashing the Vatican from Hollywood and so many movies for so, so long. Anyway, sources say that the William Morris Endeavour super agent and his co-CEO Patrick Whitesell are on a short list of media players who, uh, whom reps for Pope Francis have approached for a special meeting in the Vatican this fall. There's quite a lot of folk actually from Hollywood invited there. The pontiff apparently is interested in discussing how the church is perceived by Western media influencers and ways to improve its portrayal and entertainment. The Vatican, which is said to be working with the non-profit Varki Foundation, came up with a list of Hollywood players to invite to a summit of sorts. Uh, film and television producer Brian Grazer, OWN mogul Oprah Winfrey, actor Matt Damon and semi-retired uh, super mogul David Geffen also scored invites according to sources. WME declined to comment on whether Emmanuel, the brothers of Chicago Mayor Ram Emanuel, and, uh, or the brother I should say, and the inspiration for entourage's Ari Gold would accept the invitation to break bread with a Catholic church leader. The Varki Foundation has been discussing with representatives of the Vatican about a potential meeting examining the role of media and the values of young people in the world. A foundation super, uh, spokesperson said, recent media speculation about the purpose and possible participants of such a meeting is inaccurate and premature. The meeting under consideration is emphatically not a discussion about the reputation of the Catholic Church and never has been. So you get two different versions in the same article here about why he's inviting, again, the celebrities, you know. The, if we're so sad, a, a society and, and a civilization, they have to follow actors and actresses around uh, because we, we just worship them, folks, rather than think for ourselves. We really have had it, haven't we? But the reason to bring all these folk in is because you can influence other people's opinions on things just because they're stinking rich and they've been in a few movies or something. Uh, it's quite something else, isn't it, how we're all managed so damned easily uh, by uh, the professionals, you see, and and uh, the big uh, PR corporations that that the UN and everybody else uses. Eh? Uh, again, using your tax money. I mean, it's just astonishing, isn't it, how, how we're constantly brainwashed and the cost of it to do so and the studies on how to do it are all from our own tax money taking the money off you to brainwash you and you're going along with something that's going to be detrimental to you. Uh, sad, isn't it? But that's how it that's really is that's what's going on. It's different when you have charities and, and it's up to you whether you want to donate to the charity or not. And most of them are corrupt as well. But we're going into a world of expert rule, you see, and non-governmental organizations running our lives for us because they're going to be classed as experts in the new society, you see. The little major domos of each little uh, region and every city that you can't move out of, and you won't have private transportation. That's in the Agenda 21 goals, which is all part of the Millennium Project, which now goes into the next part of the SDGs. Uh, Only basically essential vehicles only will be allowed. It's all been planned. See, the future's all been planned. And these 
con men prattling about democracy where you have no say in anything. And mind you, too, if you don't know what's going on, how can you have a say in anything? Or if you're given a minimalistic view of something, uh, which is always put across to you as being kind of uh, timid, uh, timid or, or tepid, I should say, really. You're not going to worry about it. They're going to tell you the whole truth that you're going to fund it all through your, your, your paycheck. Big time. Now, I should, I should end by saying to, to people out there, too, uh, you can help me take along here, hopefully, by either donating cash through PayPal or whatever, or send cash or even checks to cuttingthroughmates.com. Uh, if you're on the, the website, you'll find out how to do it and where to send it and all the rest of it. Or you could buy the books or discs I have for sale there, too. Because, uh, as I say, I seldom ask for anything at all. I'm not flogging all kinds of uh, uh, <laughs> mixes of herbs that have been around for thousands of years and claiming anything about them and that you're going to live forever if you take these and all the rest of it and, and get in a big, large business on the go. I just sell information and my own thoughts, basically, out there to other people. And lots of folk have certainly had help from it, uh, as they constantly inform me too. So, yeah, go to cutting3matrix.com. thousands of articles there for free. And you can listen to so many different topics being discussed by me and sometimes others as well uh, to get a really bit better and deeper understanding of the world we're alive in. Uh, a world that really spends so much money to misinform you and con you and so on. And how big decisions, as I say, are made all the time without your consent at all, often without your even knowledge, your knowledge at all. The future's always planned, always. Even the mass immigration project across Europe right now and into the Americas was planned years ago. I've got old articles going way, way back, and I've got all the culprits' names and organizations, etc., that are involved in getting them all to start moving and how you finance them over. Nothing just spontaneously happens in the world. That's the way they present it to you. But they're, they're, again, minimalistic news articles and misleading news articles. So, yeah, make good use of cuttingthroughmedics.com. And hopefully I'll have better news next week. Uh, a lot of stuff you can't talk about anymore. And uh, some countries more so than others. So you have to be very careful in what you say, even the topics you pick. So uh, there's no real free speech at all. Uh, never mind free academic thought. It doesn't exist anymore. And that's just the way it is, folks. We're not going into a more open, uh, caring and knowledgeable society. We're going into a totally controlled society. And the new definition of what democracy is all about is all, all around you. You're living through it. Now, from Hamish and myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God, your God's go with you.